This English lesson is brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education. Welcome to the second lesson for English Home Language. I am Rodel Gavinder. I'm Praveena Chetty. I'm Jacqueline Naika. And we are teachers of English Home Language. This lesson is going to be focused on Paper 2. And more specifically, uh, we're going to be looking at how to study. So how would you prepare to study the poetry syllabus in English Home Language? And a little bit on how to approach a literary essay. So that is the main focus of this lesson. So what we've decided to do in terms of the layout of this lesson is really to have a type of panel discussion with the three of us and to guide you uh, on how to prepare for your uh, for studying your poetry syllabus at home. So what are the kinds of steps or what are the kinds of things that you need to do to ensure that you're ready for studying poetry? So just before we begin, we want you to bear in mind that your teacher would have covered the poetry syllabus with you. And in term one already, you would have completed about three or four poems. So we're not going to go through all the 12 poems that are prescribed for English home language. Rather, what we're going to say to you is these are the kinds of basic things that you need to revise or you need to know about the poem. And these are the kinds of questions that you would be asked in the exam. How do you apply what those techniques are, what those common things are that you need to know to the questions that will be asked? So I'm going to start off and I'm going to go to uh, Pravina. Pravina. Please, can you just tell us a little bit about what is the first thing a learner needs to do when looking at the poet uh, or studying poetry? Right. The first piece of advice I'm going to give you is you cannot study all 12 poems at one go. It's virtually impossible. It's extremely difficult. So my advice is that once you, you probably have done the four poems already, each day, take a particular poem, read through it, make sure you understand the terminology, look at the imagery used by the poet, and just get some idea of what the poem is about. There are also a large chunk of information, a wealth, a plethora of information available to you on Google. So Google the poem. It's always advisable to look at a different perspective. In this way, you will form a holistic view of the poem. So take a poem a day, read the notes that you've written in class, as well as support what you have in class with information that you may get on Google. I think that's a very important point that uh, Pravina raised about working through the poem because I think learners have a problem where they want to study the poem as it um, is. So they just uh, read over the poem and then yes. they just learn. The teacher gives them notes. But the thing that they don't understand is you're working with the poem. Yes. So you actually have to engage, engage with, with the it, poem. Yes. Mm. Um, and in terms of understanding the imagery and the sound devices in that poem and engaging with it, you need to understand that the poem isn't just about you telling us what it's about. Mm. In the exam, you need to understand things like what is the message of the poem? Why has the writer used or why is the poet used in this case? The imagery and sound devices. Um, and you need to know these terms. Your biggest friend or your greatest friend in this exercise is to understand your figurative language. Your figures of speech help you so much in understanding how to answer these questions. Know what a euphemism is. Know what a metaphor is. Know what similes are, what personification, onomatopoeias. All of these things are your toolbox 
to be able to understand these things. And I think that's a very important concept that you've raised because I think many learners leave that to the end of their yeah. revision program when they're doing poetry instead of understanding that you've got to know these terms before you yes. study the poems. So you've got to yes. know what imagery is. Yes. You've got to know what those things are before you actually engage with the 12 poems that you need to have for prescribed learning. And that's what we're going to move on um, to now. We're going to look at four key areas that you need to cover mm. when studying poetry. And the first one uh, Praveen is going to go through with us is imagery and sound devices. So what do we mean by imagery and sound devices in poetry? Right, You know, every single poem will test the concept of image. So when a learner is studying the poem, my suggestion is to highlight all the imagery and then try and explain it. An image is usually a figure of speech. At grade 12 level, they're not going to ask you ide to identify the figure of speech. A question on imagery would be, discuss the effectiveness of. And if a candidate gets the response, uh, the question, discuss the effectiveness of, and it's three marks, there are three steps to it. The first is to state what two things are being compared. The second is to state the point of comparison. And the third mark is derived from the effectiveness thereof. So in other words, how is that effective in getting the writer's message, intention, point of view across? How does that image impact on the reader? So perhaps if you look at a particular poem, um, you know, in a Zulu girl, for example, and they talk about the heat, the intensity of the heat. So it's a metaphor because the heat, the sun is compared to, for example, uh, something that's smoldering. So that is your first mark. The second mark, the point of the comparison is to show how hot it is. The third point, why is it effective? It evokes sympathy in the reader for the plight of the Zulu girl who has to live under that circumstances, the poverty and the hardship that she has to endure. So the issue of uh, imagery is threefold. Identify what two things are being compared. What is the point of comparison? How is it effective in reaching a particular point of view? Do you agree, ladies? I, I think I, I particularly like that method because I use that as well with my learners. The idea is to get away from the fear you feel, learners, when you see the word effectiveness. Mm -hmm. I think many learners are just so scared when they see that word effectiveness. They just, I think, want to curl up in the exam room. And the problem is effectiveness. The problem with that is that effectiveness is an easy word to deal with if you just realize it, it means does it work? Mm. So ask yourself, does that metaphor work? Does that image work? In, like the, uh, the example that Ravina gave us from Zulugal, it asked, um, it wanted to invoke sympathy in you. Did you feel sorry for the Zulugal when you read this particular image? If you did, then it was effective. So don't be daunted by the words used. Again, vocabulary is your friend. Um, I think it's a very val valid point. Um, and I think that that is why learners need to understand, um, you know, terminology like onomatopoeia, alliteration, metaphors, similes, um, the use of emotive language, word choice, that's diction. You know, go over those things. There's nothing wrong with you going back to your grade eight work um, where you had to learn what personification is, revise that and then utilize those skills 
in looking at your prescribed poetry. You know, learners, there's a huge gap. We pick it up as teachers where we can see that kids can't remember those terms and they don't revise it. And by the time you're in matric, you need to know it. You know, it's a given. And studying poetry means studying it, not the night before, but consistently over a period of time. To do it the night before does not lend justice to it because all you're trying to do at that point is learn the content of the poem. The question is not the content of the poem, but the application of the content to respond in a particular way. So it is imperative that you look at this poetry consistently. You also need to look at sound devices used by the poet. And in this case, it may be alliteration, assonance, onomatopoeia. But obviously, a sound device is used for a particular purpose. So whilst you might have said that the writer uses alliteration, and if it's a two-mark question, comment on the effectiveness of whatever it is. So you've identified that he used alliteration by the use of whatever words. You will get one mark. But the second mark arises from the effectiveness. How does that particular alliteration add or detract from the message, the intention, or the tone of the poem. Sound devices also add to the rhythm of the poem. Why is rhythm important in terms of the way the poem, and rhythm is usually usually arises from the manner in which the poem is read. Remember, rhythm is either fast-paced or slow-paced. What is the purpose of a fast-paced rhythm or something that's slower? Okay, so the next part or the next aspect that you need to cover when you're looking at poetry analysis is tone and attitude. Now, learners have such a problem understanding tone and attitude. So we're going to unpack that for you um, so that you know um, what tone is. But more than that, we want to stress to you that you need to build on your vocabulary. You need to know tone words. You know, they're, they're adjectives. So what are tone? What is tone? Um, Jackie, what is tone? Tone is the speaker's feeling. The speaker's feeling as opposed to the mood of the entire poem. And I think students tend to get that mixed up when they ask them what is the mood of the poem and what is the tone of the speaker. Um, you know, it, it's, most times they, they mirror each other. You can have a sad person talking about his feelings and how sad he is feeling in a very sad uh, situation where the setting is gloomy um, Everything is really dark and, and desolate, um, like in the poem Vultures, for instance, where it matches. Um, alternatively, you could have a situation where the speaker is very sad, but he is in a setting where the mood is upbeat about a man who feels very lonely on, at a New Year's Eve party. Mm-hmm. Um, these things are things you must understand, Nanis. Yeah. I think one of the key things there with understanding tone as well is understanding voice, whose voice yes. is mm. coming through in the poem. And, and you know, one of the things that my learners in the classroom ask me as well is, you know, what do we say? Do we say the speaker? Do we say the poet? Well, you've got to ask yourself who's talking, who's coming yes, through, the speaker in the poem. So who is speaking to you? And most often than not, it is the poet's voice because he's got to convey a particular message or intention. And so when you look at tone, your teacher will probably give you a list of words Words. that emphasize tone. Go over it. And when you are studying the poem, try and match that tone to whatever it is. 
tone is derived from the words that are used in the poem. So if you get a question on tone, then you identify, your first step is to identify the tone. And the second step is to identify the words that reinforce or show that particular tone. And inevitably, it is there in the poem. So make a statement and qualify whatever you're saying. This is what literature is all about. You state a point and you use some evidence from the poem to justify and to cement what you have already said. Mm. I think in the poem, we need to realize the tone deals with feeling. It deals with that speaker's feeling. So we need to use adjectives that describe feeling. And, you know, a lot of learners, I, I find that either use the word calm or they use the word high or low because they tend to mix up the word tone with pitch, with sound. And you need to realize that you need to use emotive words here. Is it a somber tone, which is another word for serious? Is it um, a joyful tone? Is it um, is it a, an ironic tone? Sarcastic? Um, happy? Celebratory? Funny? Those are words that invoke feelings. Mm -hmm. So... Tend to look at those, have a word bank of tones or tone bank, as we call it. I know we always try to do that with mm -hmm. students. You should have built up over the years a tone bank for mood as well as for a uh, bank for tone and for mood. These words help you. Yeah, I think it's because, you know, learners are so used to um, teachers or parents saying, you know, watch your tone with me. And they often get confused with the meaning of the word yes. tone. Yes. So when you think of tone in poetry, you think of tone in a text, you're thinking of attitude, mm. right? What attitude is conveyed? And that tone also creates a mood. How does the poet want me to feel towards this mm. poem? Right. So those are the key things that you need to think about. Inevitably, the tone evokes a response in the reader. Yes. A poet writes a poem to express his feelings, but also to elicit a response from the reader. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that you will get is how what response is evoked in the reader? Mm -hmm. Are you in, um, invited to feel sympathetic? Are you to celebrate the success? Is there a note of optimism and hope at the end? so that the reader feels that he's going to go out and make a change in the, the world. world yes. So a poem is written to evoke a response and you need to identify what that response is and inevitably it is governed through tone and attitude. Right, so the next part, so we've covered imagery and sound devices. We've covered the second aspect, which is tone and attitude. Now we're going to have a very brief discussion on style, structure and form. Um, so what do we mean by style, Praveena? It's the, the way the poem is actually written. What type of poem is it? Is it a, a sonnet? Is it a lyrical poem? Is it an epic poem? What type of poem is it essentially? And remember, in writing a particular type of poem, it lends to the message and the idea. Yes. So very often, style governs the meaning that we infer from the poem. I think we also just need to be cl uh, clear there because the, the form of the poem would Is be the, son the uh, sonnet, sonnet and so yeah. on. But um, obviously what that uh, lends itself to when we talk about the style of the poem is we, we're talking about how it's presented mm -hmm. to us. So um, the presentation of the of poem, the poem. Um, whether it's um, 
um, a Shakespearean sonnet versus an Italian, an Italian sonnet, sonnet. or maybe a dramatic monologue. Yes, uh, or uh, you know, free verse, or uh, uh, just as though the poem is telling a story. A narrative type. And also the use of very uh, specific stylistic devices. So we're talking about the diction, the punctuation. The rhyming couplet. Mm. Enjambment. So yes. Those kinds of things are stylistic devices that are informed by the structure and obviously the form of the, the poem. The form of the poem as well. Yes. Right. So... I think that the key thing here is, uh, although we are unpacking these concepts uh, individually, they all sort of come together with the ultimate aim of conveying a message in the poem. And that is what we are trying to get you. So we're kind of breaking and deconstructing it so that you can put it together and form some sort of analysis of the poem. And then the last aspect is, I think the crux of it, is the interpretation or the theme or the message of the poem. And why is that so important in poetry analysis? Jackie? I think the themes and the messages are ultimately, what is the purpose of the poem? I mean, why are we studying all of these these poems? Because the poet wants to send out a message. He has a prevalent theme that he wants to emphasize to us, some idea that he wants to convey to us, create a response within us. Uh, poetry has purpose. Like with most texts, they have a purpose. They want you, the reader, to engage with it and gain some kind of idea and respond to it. It's very important for us to understand why did he write this poem? Why did she take the time to put these words in and give us this type of poem? That is what we're dealing with in theme and message. And of the poems that will be tested in the exam, it will inevitably cover the question of imagery. There must be a question on imagery, which will be for about three marks. There will be one on tone and attitude, another on style and structure. And lastly, they must ask you the message and its re relation to the reader. So if learners, when they're studying the poem, to, they need to identify and answer this in their minds. The suggestion is also to look at past year papers. And try and answer that. And again, Google the responses and see how they were and mark their work in terms of what they would give themselves for a particular question. The only way you can be successful in poetry is to try as many examples as possible and to look at past year papers. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what we were saying that each informs the other concept. Because even if you look at theme and message, for example, in order to convey the particular message, he's done it through the use of imagery or he's done it in a particular form, whether it's a sonnet or she. So uh, you need to be able to use the point evidence explain link um, technique here because whatever the question is asking you about whether it's the writer's message and so on you've got to be able to evidence from the poem itself and be able to show how that evidence informs whatever the question is asking you to do. So if uh, they get a question on for example how does the structure reinforce the poet's message mm -hmm. it is important to begin the response by identifying Fine. what the message is and then to build on that because to just move into discussion doesn't uh, it negates everything because we need to see that you understand the learner understands what the message is. 
Absolutely. Um, so what we're going to go to now is to look at some of the question types that are frequently asked in poetry and how to unpack what do you know those particular question styles. So the first one that we've identified, and then I'm going to ask uh, Jackie and Pravina to come in and to kind of show us how to unpack those type of questions. So the first type of question that we find is very commonly asked for poetry is what impression so what impression is created of? Um, so let's start with uh, Jackie. When you see a question like that, what does that mean, what impression? I think the impression is basically the idea of you giving your opinion. How do you feel about this poem when you have read it at first glance? Your impression of it, your um, understanding of... So, f so for example, if I have, have to the ask the question moves. like uh, Zulu girl, yes. what impression is created about the mother in her body looms above him? So what is the question asking us to do? It's asking you to, to think about, place yourself in that situation. If you hear the word looms, how do you feel? What type of vibe does it give you, if I can use that word? Um, the loom... Um, like, for example, if you yes. say the mother looming, suggestion of protectiveness. Yes. Correct. Like somebody who's looming. So it's the feeling that you get is that the mother is very protective. protective. Mm. Now, how, then you need to explain the concept of loom. Looming. You yes, have to me. remember when they you answering when learners are answering poetry, they have to go back to diction, and diction reinforces meaning. So go back to the word loom, and explain how what does the word loom mean generally, and then in the context of this particular poem and then ended off with a concluding sentence or statement. Absolutely, because if you look at unpacking that question, what impression is created of? So you've got to an analyze the, the words that are the key part of that question. So, for example, the one in Zulu girl, her body looms above him like a hill. So what impression is created about whom? The mother mm. in her body mm. looms mm. above him. him. So we're looking, we're focusing on here the mother. Right. The next thing is to look at particular words, the diction, as you mentioned, and how that diction evokes that response. So the word loom there is kind of glaring. Um, and, and that is what you're going to hold on to. You're going to explain the that concept of loom in, in, in terms of um, protectiveness and nurturing. So, for example, if you look at the context of this poem, the word loom is in stark contrast to the word fling. Mm. Yes. Earlier, you look at the word fling, dismissive, uh, resentful, uh, you know, anger mm. and frustration. And suddenly here's the word that this woman looming over mm. somebody. Yes. There's that instinct of protectiveness and nurturing. So the for me, when instinct. learners are looking at poetry, they must look at diction. And how does diction reinforce meaning and perhaps compare one word to the next? Because sometimes there's a contrast that is shown. For, so coming back to, for example, Zuluga, the harsh conditions, the frustration of the woman, her oppression, her disappointment with her lot in life. And then, of course, her role as a mum. Her role as a mum is quite different from her role as an employee. Correct. And I think the other thing that you've highlighted there is understanding the meaning of the words. Yes. You've got to, at basic level, when you're looking at your prescribed poetry, you've got to know the meaning of the words. 
So you can't expect your teacher only to just provide you with those definitions. You've got to know, find synonyms. If you don't understand it, you've got to find synonyms to understand the meaning of those words. Because if you don't understand the meanings of those words, you're not going to be able to apply them to the question. I think that's very important. The My suggestion is that when you have a copy, copy of the poem, Highlight the words, words that are seemingly difficult mm. and then uh, next to it, write the meaning, meaning of those And then words. when you're studying the poem as well, maybe you could have key phrases. And so, you know, it will help you to reinforce what you've learned already. Right. The next question type that's very common in poetry is the comment on question. Right. Which is uh, if you look at the uh, resource guide that we've provided on the KZN Funda portal and perhaps maybe your teachers have covered the different question levels with you. We regard this as a level three upwards question. Mm -hmm. So level three, four, five question. And your teachers would have covered this with you. Mm. But when we see comment on, what do we mean by comment on something? This is a very important question. And most learners uh, do not realize that um, comment on actually is inviting their own opinion. Mm -hmm. Comment means, do you agree with this? Do you agree, like, for instance, it comment on the appropriateness? Do you agree that this title is fit for this poem? It, does, it, does it match? Uh, comment on the imagery. Does it work? You know, um, Comment is your evaluation, is your opinion. But giving your opinion is very easy. Substantiating is what you need to do. So when they get a question on comment on... Yes. Firstly, it must require the individual to give an opinion. It's mm -hmm. very effective. It works. And then you need to state why it works. To be able to do this, you need to look at diction, imagery, tone. So the first one, when they say comment on, indicates the effectiveness of and whether it works. The second step is to identify, to reinforce what you say. It works because, and refer to diction. The writer uses this particular word which suggests whatever. And the last step is to state your the, the opinion. And in this case, how does the technique add to the poem? What does it present? How does it enrich the poem or actually make it look better? So usually comment on is three marks. And that's how the three marks, you know, how it will be marked in terms of that particular question. Well, let's look at one example uh, for the learners. So we'll try to choose a poem that they would have done in the first term. Let's look at uh, first day after the war. Then without waiting, we ran to the open space ululating to the mountains and the pathways, calling people from all the circles of the earth. Comment on the tone of the stanza in relation to the title, First Day After the War. So let's unpack that question. What is the child asked to, to do here? I think that this is very important because the child is asked here to first identify the tone and then to understand what the title means. And then you've got to link the two. How does the tone in these lines link to the title? Now, here's some key words for you to think about. Does the, does the tone support? Does it reinforce? Or does it contradict the title? Is it going against the title or is it supporting the title? Yeah, so, so if you look at it, it's telling you to comment on the tone of the stanza mm. in relation to the title. What is the tone? Jubilance. Joy. Joy. Okay. Celebration. Celebration. How, did we, how did we get that tone? What words in the yes. poem, the in actual the poem? context, yes, yes. identify. So let's look at some words. Without waiting. 
we ran ululating mm. okay so those are very jubilant words, words. Okay. so the emotive words actually lend itself to reflecting yes. on the tone correct and the tone shows us what what this tone of joy points out mm. how the people celebrate after having been suppressed, suppressed and fearful for so many years the title tells us that this is the first day of freedom so there's the link now yes okay what why, why is is um this tone effective mm. in terms of the title um and the title lends itself to this sense of freedom the sense of happiness mm. of the people um the first day after the war so it's very important to look at the title because the title is essentially what the entire poem is about and somewhere in the response the learner must make reference to, to the, the title, title of the poem right so the next question type is uh critically discuss or discuss again level 3 upwards question here what do we mean by critically discuss or discuss Again the concept of critical comes into play as it did with everything else. Remember we also discussed this in paper 1. The concept of critical is very important. A mere discussion will not get a, can- a candidate any mark at all. It it means critically discuss say if it works. If it works, provide evidence as to why it works, and if it doesn't work, also provide evidence why it does not work. And I think obviously that when you need to, you, the steps you need to take in this is to analyze the words, deal with the technique me- mentioned in the question, and write a balanced view of the way in which this technique adds value to the poem. If we uh, look at the uh, some examples. uh for instance for this critically discussed question if we look at again the zulu girl uh we spoke about that earlier a girl flings down her hoe and from her shoulder unslings her child tormented by flies critically discuss how these lines convey the speaker's attitude toward the zulu girl now here critically discuss means give your opinion and you need to start looking at those key words you need to analyze what does flings mean um how does it give you an idea of what the poet or the speaker is thinking of this girl what impression again we come back to that impression so can you see how all of those questions link into each other you start off with the impression question and again now you need to understand what impression is given of the reader by these words and if you look at the word tormented why has the writer or the poet chosen to use the word tormented instead of just said irritated or annoyed and the the emphasis there is it's an emotive response word, yes. the idea is to provoke a response when you look at the word torment uh, torment it's j- inflicts um, a discomfort pain unbearable, uh, unbearable uh, an emotional response a negative response, response. to whatever it is yes. so this you know there's a plague of the flies and it reinforces the unsanitary unhygienic condition that this zulu girl and her baby have to endure and that unsanitary environment inevitably reflects on the poet's attitude to that particular scenario i think also when we looking at this question if we have to deconstruct it critically discuss is to examine so yes. they asking you to examine how those lines show us what the speaker's attitude is towards the girl what is the speaker's attitude you could say that he feels sympathetic for or sorry for her why does he now we examining mm. it why does he feel sorry for her 
because her life appears to be difficult. It's yes. a life of poverty, right? How is that conveyed in the lines? Um, and then you can talk about the hard manual labor that mm-hmm. she's engaged she's with, the suffering endured by her child who is being pestered by yeah, the, the flies. flies. So can you see, just by us deconstructing the question and the, what, the requirements of the question, we are able to give a response. And, and, and I think, sorry, if it's three marks, and as we've pointed out, it's easy to get the three marks. First, you comment on the attitude. The second one, you show how this is conveyed by means of dictions and words, um, diction, which is words or imagery or whatever it is. And the third one, to provide your own analysis of it. It shows poverty. It evokes uh, sympathy in the reader. It creates a particular response. So the third mark is, uh, is the critical comment. The next question type uh, that I'd like us to unpack is what does the diction convey, right? Now, this is a level um, five question because it's very specifically focusing on the writer's craft or the writer's ability to use language in a very skillful way way to convey a message. So the writer's choice of words. And I I really think that's the crux of poetry. I don't know if you ladies agree with me. Right. So basically, when we say what does the diction convey, what does the diction suggest, you basically ask to explain why the speaker or the poet has chosen these particular words in the poem, because diction is word choice. Right. How would you go about answering that type of question? I'll give you a question that you can um, use. Again, let's go back to Zulu Girl. I'm trying to choose poems that are sort of we've probably covered in the first term. Uh, let's look at the curbed ferocity of beaten tribes, the sullen dignity of their defeat. Suggest a reason for the speakers describing the dignity of the tribes as sullen. So we're focusing there on the use of the, the word, word sullen. sullen. Right, so how would you go about unpacking this question, Jackie? First step. I think the first step here would be to um, identify the words in the question, underline or highlight them. Um, like with this question now, um, the curbed ferocity of beaten tribes, a sullen dignity of their defeat. Now, when they say suggest a reason, it's another account for question for the speaker describing the dignity of the tribes as sullen. So the, the words you would highlight there is dignity versus sullen. Yes. Yeah. Now, those are two very different words, dignity and to have dignity and then to be sullen are almost contradictory terms. Why would the tribes be sullen? Again, this comes back to your understanding of vocabulary. You need to understand the meanings of these words. Um, so please, before you attempt answering, um, go over them. Um, sullen, also, sorry, yes. by merely don't just identify the words. Mm-hmm. Explain why those particular words are used mm-hmm. to convey a point of view. Because by merely identifying, the writer uses these words doesn't make a difference. You need to focus. So if they are about, take about three words there and explain the use of each, the meaning of each particular word in the context of the poem and then why the poet has used that particular word to um, emphasize his point of view or to convey a message that he or she wishes to do so. 
Right. So if you looked at that question, suggest a reason for the speakers describing the dignity of the tribes as sullen. The key word that you had to identify was sullen. sullen. What does mm. sullen mean? Mm. It means an element of hostility in the people. Okay, so the speaker describes the dignity of the people as being sullen to convey that they have not accepted their defeat, but are aware that they are powerless to do anything about it, it at mm. present. Okay, it's, it's quite a, um, again, uh, that point evidence explain method, I think, is very important uh, when you're answering these types of questions. Um, the next question type uh, that I'd like us to go through would be the one on mood. So we're looking at mood questions. Uh, Praveena, maybe you want to add some, some insight to us uh, in terms of what do we mean when we talk about mood um, in, in questions? The mood is just the overall um, impression or idea that comes across and inevitably this will cover a question on mood and mood is usually derived from the type of words that are used to create a particular atmosphere for example what is the mood right now at this very moment in our country with this global crisis the mood is one of fear of apprehension of um, discomfort what is the mood for example um, in a nightclub it's vibey it's ex exciting it's fun so the mood is derived from the atmosphere that is created and the to establish mood you have to look at particular words to come through so a mood is a vibe or a feeling and you identify words that reinforce that particular mood Okay, so we're going to look at an example question here. Um, and since we've been using uh, first day after the war and um, we've also been using uh, um, Zulu girl, Zulu girl uh, I think we'll choose a question from one of those, from one of those two poems. So uh, I'll ask a question and then maybe, Jackie, you can unpack it for us and to, in terms of how to analyze it. Then without waiting, we ran to the open space, ululating to the mountains and the pathways, calling people from all the circles of the earth. What does the word ululating indicate about the mood in the village for two marks? This comes back again to your understanding of diction. Um, ululating is you have to identify and analyze the words in the line and see how they contribute to the poem. Uh, ululating is a celebrational sound made in the Zulu culture. And it is a very, very unique celebrational tone or sound that indicates absolute joy at an event. So to use the sound to indicate it and use the definition of it in the sentence, the writer wants to convey to us how excited, how completely joyous, how filled with complete delight they were at this event at being free after the war. So it's a two-part kind of question because you're looking at the diction, ululating. Mm. You're looking at what the word means. And in the context of, of the, the poem. poem, 
in conveying the poet's message. So ululating against unbridled joy, um, uninhibited, absolute, absolute excitement. excitement. And the fact that the writer uses ululating works in this particular context because, you know, the African poem, the African way of life, and so it makes it particularly authentic and authenticates what the writer is saying. Right, so the next question type that we're going, going to move on to is that of the central idea of the poem. And I think this ties in with when we looked at the four-part analysis, we looked at the theme or the message of the poem. This type of question, central idea of the poem, uh, lends itself to that. And, and generally, the central idea of the poem questions normally are about three marks. Mm-hmm. So two to three, generally three marks. Again, it's a level three upwards type of question. And really, um, what you are asked to do is to relate the literary technique that the question has identified to whatever the central message of the poem is. There are three steps to doing this. Um, The first step is to identify the literary technique in the question. The second step is to look at this technique using the evidence from the poem. And then finally, to show how the technique captures whatever the central theme, message or idea of the poem is. So I'm going to give you a question and let's unpack it. We'll choose Remember, which was done in the first First term term as well. Um, And then we can discuss that in terms of the three techniques that we use for the central idea of the poem. Better by far you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad. Discuss how the tone of the rhyming couplet reinforces the central idea of the poem. Jackie, can we get you to unpack that question for us? Um, This poem is, you have to obviously first look at the literary technique in the question. That's step one. Now, the um, tone here, and more especially, they're using the tone here, but they are also using rhyming couplets. Mm -hmm. In this particular question, the rhyming couplet gives or lends the, uh, gives actually the (laughs) meaning or reinforces the tone of this um, of the poem and gives you um, links it to the central idea or message of the poem. What, sorry, Jack. What we must always remember is that the rhyming couple couplet is two couple. Mm. So the rhyming couplet is the last two lines, and inevitably yes. the last two lines summarizes the essence of what the poet wishes to convey, the message mm. or the theme or the intention. It generally summarizes the poem. So if you can look back at those steps, if you look back at those two lines, better by far you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad. Those last two lines convey the overall message of that poem. And it is very important because if you go back to the poem, remember, her initial idea to her beloved was Remember me, remember me, remember me. But in these last two lines, there comes a change of mind. There comes a change in her idea. And she realizes in her attitude, in, her attitude, mm. in the way she feels about her need to be remembered. And in these lines, she says, better by far that you should forget. She now wants him. She allows him to forget and smile than him remembering and being sad. So the first part would be you've identified what the tone is there. You've identified that they're using a rhyming couplet and the rhyming couplet are the last two lines and what they're going to say. You now need to use evidence from those lines to indicate how this links to the central idea 
or theme. You see, essentially, she's idealistic, I think, in the beginning. Yes. In the hope that people mm. will constantly remember you and that's the way it is. But after a period of time, it's almost as though she's become realistic. Mm. It is normal that when there is death in the beginning, your world feels as though it's crushed and you'll never, you'd hope that the person would remember you. After a while, with human nature and with life as it is, the reality yes. is that people move on. Mm. So it's almost as though she's granting him this permission to now you know, move on. And the fact that you, it's better that he would remember her and smile and have happy thoughts rather than be morose and sad and held back by this kind of depressive attitude. Yeah, so if you look at that question and if you have to unpack it in terms of the steps, the first step is to identify the tone in the rhyming couplet. So the speaker's tone in the rhyming couplet is a balanced and mature tone where she reassures her beloved that it is better to smile than to be sad over her death. Right. What is the central idea of the poem? This reinforces the central idea of the poem, which points out that it is, as Praveena said, natural to move on in life after the death of a loved one and that one should not uh, feel guilty for forgetting the speaker or the poet in the future. And if you look at it, it is a message to the reader as well that we have to let go. In order to move on, we have to let go. So she's perhaps telling all of us through her personal experience that that is what we have to learn to do. And I think also it's very important to look at how she is able to go through that process to come to the idea and knowing that sacrificing her own need to be remembered is more important to that his need to move on and be happy is far more important than her need to be remembered. And it is something that is a part of this overall theme in this poem. And if you look at it, it's the stages of grief, isn't it? Yes. With the final stage being acceptance. So the acceptance that we need to move on. And so whilst previously the overall tone seemed to be more somber and almost selfish, I need you to remember me. But then towards the end of the poem, it's It's she relinquishes a hold over him, more of a tone of acceptance and as Rodell says, maturity. And she reassures him that even if he does forget, it is not, she has freed him Mm. from that last wish. Right. Uh, So we're going to round up the discussion for poetry um, and we're we just going to summarize for you what we've covered and some of the basic things that you need to know when um, answering the contextual for poetry. So I'm going to start off with Praveena. I'm going to reiterate my earlier comment. Poetry is work in progress. It's never going to take place overnight. So learners need to constantly go back to their poems, maybe as a last thing they do before they go to bed at night. Read a poem a day. And there are certain basic questions that appear in every single poem that we've covered. For example, the style of the poem, diction, uh, we looked at mood, we looked at tone, imagery. imagery. So if if a candidate looks at every single poem and tries to answer the questions based on that, they should be fine. But remember, a mere regurgitation of what the poem is about is not enough. A candidate must be able to respond to the question and link the content of the poem 
to the question. So make a statement and justify that statement with evidence from the poem itself. Jackie? I think also learners need to realize that poetry is not as difficult as they think. Poetry requires, yes, focus, but if you understand music, if you are able to listen to a song and appreciate it, you are able to understand poetry. And just as with music, you may not like every song you hear, you may not like every poem you read. And, and uh, true, Jackie, music evokes a particular Either mood. mood. Yes. It evokes feelings, feelings in you. So if you can unpack the words of a song, you have you the ability the words to analyze because the key here is diction and words. Right. Um, and I think I'm going to just round up. Uh, so just to let you know that one of the things that you need to make sure that you do during this time is to revise past papers. Going back to our first lesson where we looked at paper one, the comprehension, we said to you, the more you expose yourself to these instructional verbs, these question types and these question styles, the less intimidating it becomes when you are faced with them in the exam. You are able to approach it with ease. So do as many past papers as you possibly can. Look at how the memo is structured. So work through those steps, step one, step two, step three. And you can find the resources for this on the KZN Funder portal. Don't forget to use the Peel method, point, evidence, explain, link. And again, you have to study for English. Right. So you've got to know all the terminology. You find that if you've learned this and you study that terminology, the unseen poetry question becomes easier as well. And then the last point that I want to make is time management. You have 10 minutes given to you during the reading uh, for your reading time for paper two. During those 10 minutes, you should already be making decisions as to what poems you're going mm -hmm. to be answering. So you should know, okay, there are four, uh, three options given to me. I am correct, ladies. Four. Four. four options. One is the essay, essay question. Oh, right. That's right. So there's four options given to me. Which are the two poems that are from the prescribed literature that I am going to be answering? Do not work on a guess method and think that, oh, these two poems won't come out and these will. Learn all 12 poems before the exam. However, just like how certain genres of music appeal to you, you will find that there are some poems that you've enjoyed a little bit more and... Uh, you may make that choice then to answer those two particular poems in the exam. So we wish you all the very best. Just a very one sentence message from each of our teachers here, Praveena. All the best. Once again, I want to reiterate my earlier comment. Please use this time profitably and productively, productively so that you can go ahead and prepare, look at past year papers. It is an opportunity and a time for you to catch up with whatever you've done. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening in and wish you the very best in the year ahead. Jackie? I want to also wish you the very best in the year ahead in your studies. And I want you to know that you have the ability within you to get through this. This is not as difficult as you think it is. You have the skills available to you. Just please continue studying. Work on improving that vocabulary. As I said before, words are your greatest tool. Use them. Learn your diction. Learn your phrases. Learn your figures of speech. And all will become clear. All the best. All right. Um, and just a final note. Remember, all's well that ends well. You can do this. 
This is not beyond you. Uh, you've been, you know, going through this process with your teachers and just have faith that you are able to face this paper and um, all your papers with the courage that and with the tools that you have been given. All the very best learners. Thank you. Thank you. That English lesson was brought to you by the KwaZulu-Natal Department of Education.